Welcome to Let's Talk. God is not religious. This is our flagship program here on Internet Radio, where we challenge and encourage the body of Christ to boost their spiritual IQ through apostolic doctrine and teaching. And we also try to inspire the body of believers to enter into an intimate relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ by coming to know the person of the Holy Spirit and receiving his power and anointing and love and fellowship. Uh, We also want to encourage you guys to visit our website, uh, GodIsNotReligious.net, and there you'll find many additional teachings. Uh, we have an active blog where we have many comments from our listeners, as well as uh, very astute questions that are that are asked, and I try to answer those questions as well on the blog format. We also have our statement of beliefs and our vision and uh, our resources page where you can find my books. We have six books up there. And uh, one of the books, God is Not Religious, is translated into Spanish for those who would rather read in Spanish or read in Spanish. And uh, we also have a Q&A page where you can send in questions in particular, and I will do my best to answer that. There are also some standard questions up there that we've received many times that we've posted. And uh, through the Q&A page, you can also email us and send us your questions or your comments or your needs directly. Uh, Also, if you would like to uh, provide for the ministry financially, support the ministry financially, you can do that through the website. Uh, There's a special page, donation page, where you can donate to the ministry or give to the ministry. And mainly that's done through PayPal. uh, And that's all set up on the donation page as well as the checkout page for uh, when you purchase uh, one of the books with the CD or something of that nature. So we want to encourage you to be involved in that. We also want to let you know that we have a live chat going. As we're on the program right now, there's a live chat going, and you can be involved in that live chat. You can fellowship with the other people and also communicate with us during the show while we're on uh, by getting involved with the live chat. I think all you have to do in order to do that is to register with Blog Talk uh, on this particular program, Blog Talk Radio. Uh, if you register with Blog Talk Radio, then you'll be able to enter into the chat room and chat as well as you listen. I am going to start to share from a book I wrote last year called The Sinner's Prayer Gospel, Am I Really Born Again? The Sinner's Prayer Gospel, Am I Really Born Again? Uh, I shared with you in the series that we did on cultural Christianity versus true scriptural Christianity, exposing the counterfeit church, the history of apostasy as it has as it was birthed in the first generation of the church already, and as it progressed and developed, uh, devolved, really, if you want to look at it correctly, how the gospel's presentation and demonstration devolved through the centuries uh, down to our present time. Uh, I didn't focus too much in that series upon uh, our present-day heresies and apostasies and things like that, because I really wanted to focus on the foundation and the history of how that 
came to be because very few people have knowledge of that. So I hope if you have not heard that series, it will be a book eventually. Give me some time, folks. Some of you have been asking already. Just give me some time and pray for me. As I say, these books, they don't write themselves. It takes a lot of time and and work and, and meditation and time with the Lord to put it together in a way that it's really uh, helpful to you to learn from, okay? Um, but that a book will be coming out uh, under the title, I believe, Exposing the Counterfeit Church, sometime probably in 2015, if I'm honest, okay? Uh, but the reason that I didn't go into all those other things about the modern heresy or modern apostasy, the way that it's exposing itself today, is because I have really dealt with that in this book here that I'm going to share from for our next few times together called The Sinner's Prayer Gospel, Am I Really Born Again? And I think I've been making the argument recently, and a lot of things come under this. You know, a lot of people get caught up in particular arguments and errors uh and and they think that that's the big issue, that that's the root. For instance, the pre-tribulation rapture, all right, or dispensational eschatology. In other words, the what I exposed in my book, the rapture, and in the series, debunking the rapture. You know, this false presentation of a seven-year tribulation grid, and so on and so forth. They think that this is the root. Or they think the root is the argument over whether someone should speak in tongues or not. Or many, many other things, okay, that these are the, the, the big issues. And there are many, many more. I could name many of them, but I won't take up time with that. But I believe here, what I've dealt with in this book, is the true root of the false gospel that causes all these other errors or tears to flourish in the soil of our postmodern society. Okay? And it is this false gospel that really uh, began to manifest itself in the time of revivalism. Okay? Uh, in the 18th, 19th, and 20th centuries. And we'll get into the history of that as we get into this a little further down. Uh, when it first started, it, I don't believe that it was error necessarily. I mean, individual people were being called to an individual surrender to Christ, and they surrendered to Christ, and they repented of their sins, and they made a commitment, a true heart commitment to follow Christ. They were baptized in water, and many of them, many of them also were ensuingly baptized in the Holy Spirit and fire. Okay? So it was not a false representation. And those great evangelists who operated in that in that uh, evangelistic period of the revivalism, the majority of those, if not all, were spirit-filled men. What do I mean by spirit-filled men? I mean that they had the experience shown us in the book of Acts where they were filled in the Holy Spirit and fire, spoke in unknown tongues, and moved in the gifts of the Spirit. Of course, to differing, de- differing degrees and uh, diverse manifestations. But they had this experience. George Whitfield, okay? Uh, Charles, John and Charles Wesley, uh, 
who were with the Moravians and these others, they received that, that experience, that infilling. Okay? Charles Finney was a spirit-filled man. D.L. Moody, believe it or not, was a spirit-filled man. And many, many others who operated in this. It wasn't until more contemporary times that the, um, what can I say, the form was adopted without the spiritual, uh, the, the, the aspect of spirit filled behind it in ministries, for instance, like Billy Graham, okay, uh, where this form of revivalism was carried on through the, you know, at first in tents, revival tents, and then eventually moved into stadiums. Uh, but you also had many spirit-filled men doing these crusades as well. We think of Oral Roberts, who had a great healing ministry. Okay, and of course he embraced the fullness of the baptism in the Holy Spirit, speaking in other tongues, prophesying, uh, all the gifts of the Spirit, word of knowledge, word of wisdom, discerning of spirits, uh, you know, and of course, the gifts of healings and the working of miracles. Uh, we think of Catherine Coleman. We think of Amy Semple McPherson. Women who were uh, anointed in this way, who were great evangelists, brought many people to salvation and to repentance, to the altar, to repent, and not only to come uh, to accept Christ or surrender to Christ as their Savior, but to receive the infilling of the Holy Spirit and to walk with Him in that way, okay? So many, many, many people uh, have done that, okay? Even up until modern times, into the 1980s, and even though some of these evangelists, again, people, they were not perfect, and Satan definitely had a mark on them and wanted to knock them down and used weaknesses in their flesh, okay, to knock them down and knock them out of the game. Okay, great evangelists like Jimmy Swagger, okay, who preached the fullness of the Holy Ghost. When I was first a uh, Christian believer and I was even attending a university, Liberty University, uh, whose chancellor was Jerry Falwell, a fundamentalist Baptist who formed the moral majority, okay, they did not embrace the baptism in the Holy Spirit. I told you the stories how we used to sneak off to go to the Jimmy Swagger crusade because he preached the baptism in the Holy Spirit and prayed for people at the crusades to be filled in the Holy Spirit. Okay, so even up to modern times, unfortunately, sad to say, sad to say, in our very present day, uh, the most high-profile uh, evangelists, even if they may claim in their doctrinal heritage or statement or whatever, that they believe these things, they're not moving in these things, at least not when I see them out there doing their thing, okay? And that's sad because this is what needs the, the body of Christ needs now more than ever, as I preached in the first hour. But there's a gospel, a false, self-centered, egocentric gospel that formed, unfortunately, from this revivalism uh, called, what I call, the Sinner's Prayer Gospel, where the shift moved away from uh, a repentance and a surrender before Christ and committing to a lifelong discipleship with Christ to follow after Him and to suffer for Him uh, no matter what, 
and, move, and, and, and was in the interest of the corporate body that we were all in this together, and we were all walking to follow Christ uh, even to the death if necessary, uh, unfortunately degenerated into a self-centered, egocentric, individualistic kind of compromised assent to, to the truth of the gospel. But one foot in the world and one foot in the church. And erroneous doctrines like once saved, always saved, and eternal security and things like this came into the churches, assuring people that regardless of their post-conversion behavior, attitude, uh, temperature of their faith and commitment, because they had said this magic prayer, they had recited this magic formula, which we call the sinner's prayer, many of them without even following through to water baptism, and especially not following through to the baptism in the Holy Spirit, receiving the person of the Holy Spirit with all evidence uh, of the spiritual gifts and power, uh, that regardless of all that, they became saved. At that moment, they were saved. Now, the Scripture does use the word saved, okay, but if one studies the original language in the Greek, we find that it doesn't just mean saved. It means rescued. It means delivered. Okay, so this new definition of saved that has been uh, developed through the modern and now the postmodern church, which is referring to something that has happened, they passed, event that has occurred that has stick stick to it power in other words can never be erased can never be deleted this is not what the scripture is speaking of when it says whosoever shall believe on the lord jesus christ and confess the lord jesus christ with his mouth believe in his heart and confess with his mouth shall be saved or rescued or delivered I would acquaint it more to a person who's lost at sea, drowning in the danger of being eaten by sharks, okay, so to speak, and because they cry out for help, they are delivered, they are rescued, they are ransomed, they are saved. But this doesn't mean that next week they can just go jump in the middle of the ocean and have no fear of danger and be assured that there's going to be a Coast Guard boat that sees them again every time they do that and comes out to save them, to rescue them, to deliver them. And this is the false concept that has come out through this sinner's prayer gospel, that people get saved. Okay, I got saved. Now understand, I've used this terminology. I have you know, for many years. But as I always say to, to us, we move from faith to faith, glory to glory. We walk in the light that we have at the time. But the Lord has opened this up to me and shown me that this is an error when this is taken out of context. Do you understand? And we speak of being saved in a past tense. It's like when I go to the Roman Catholic confessional booth 
and the priest is back there, and I am contrite for sins that I committed, and he gives me absolution based on the information I gave him. You know, whatever. Go say five Hail Marys, go pass out bread with the nuns, whatever his uh, absolution formula is for me. And I go and do that, and now I say, I am absolved of all my sin. I never have to confess. I never have to repent again. I never have to be absolved again. We would find this ridiculous, right? But yet, this is what the Protestant churches are practicing, really, if, if you really break it down and look at it for what it is. We're telling people, when they are moved emotionally, and I'm not saying it's not genuine, okay? Please hear me. I'm not saying it's not genuine. When you're in, for instance, a church service or an evangelistic crusade, or even if you're watching a minister over the television, and you are moved, you are convicted of your sin, and you are moved, uh, you know, in the sense of you feel sorry for your sins, and you want God to forgive you, and you want to, by faith, enter the kingdom of God, uh, but we're selling this as that one time that we agree on that, that we believe that, that we feel that conviction, and we repeat this mantra, whatever mantra is given, okay, please, you know, say this after me. Dear Lord Jesus, I repent of my sins. Please forgive me. I mean, today, to be honest, they don't even have this language. It, it's, that's even watered down. I accept you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for yourself. There's not even a repentance many times in the prayer. But let's, let's even give the benefit of the doubt and say that there is a true repentant-type prayer. Uh, um, how can I say? Repeated. Okay, by the, by the person or by the people. And now we say, you are saved. You have gotten saved. You have been saved. It's a done deal. You signed the contract, there's no going back. There's no way that this can ever be rescinded. You can never lose this uh, because you made this commitment this day. And people walk out of the church or out of the meeting, whatever it is, or uh, walk away from the television set, and they're convinced that it's sealed and it's done and it's over. Regardless, of their future behavior and conduct, regardless of their future commitment to follow Christ and what he teaches and what he demands and commands, regardless of their, their, their willingness to continue surrendering to the leading of the Holy Spirit, to continue submitting to the truth, both the moral and the spiritual truth of the scriptures, regardless of that, they can say, no, back in 1983, September 14th, 1983, I came to the altar and I got saved. Therefore, here I am in 2014, yes, I'm living just like the world, I love money like everyone else does, uh, I, you know... I go to church and, and, and I, you know, I soothe my conscience because I go to church sometimes and I give my tithes. Uh, I've been involved in different ministries throughout my life at different times. And, but, you know, I'm not really standing for the Lord. I, I mean, you know, I kind of, uh, I, I flirt 
with the world a lot, and you know, I, I, I'm really pr- pretty much worldly overall. But I still have my faith, and I know I'm saved because I said that prayer back on September 14th, 1983. I am saved. It doesn't mean, you know, that that I'm not lukewarm now. Doesn't mean that I'm not really living for Christ with my heart now. But again, it, that doesn't matter because the contract has been signed and there's no rescinding it. Okay? So I can live a Laodicean, lukewarm type Christian existence, and I don't have to fear judgment at the judgment seat because I have been saved. People, this is not the gospel. This is not the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. I challenge you to study the New Testament and see if that's the attitude that the apostles demonstrated, that the people that they ministered to demonstrated. Was that the attitude that they had? Secondly, did they preach that kind of a gospel? Did Peter stand up, for instance, on Pentecost and say, repeat this prayer after me? Those of you who have repeated this prayer, you are now saved. If you were to... Bring Peter or Paul or James or John or any, anybody from that era back for a moment, if God would allow it, and you were to preach that gospel to them, they would think you are from Mars. They would not be able to relate to that whatsoever. They would say, what are you preaching? They would call you a Gnostic. They would call you a Gnostic. They would say, you're preaching some foreign... Uh, knowledge-driven, spiritual, you know, mystical, spiritual concept that has no basis in reality. Because that's not what the apostles preached, folks. When, when Peter and these guys stood up to preach the gospel, they had no concept whatsoever of people making some type of temporary or half-hearted uh, commitment that didn't really need to be carried out in space and time for the rest of their lives, like joining a club, you know, and just just renewing your membership every year. They would have no concept of such a thing. They understood because they themselves were persecuted for their belief in Christ. They knew that every day. They watched it. They watched Stephen stoned to death. They watched James stoned to death. They themselves were stoned and, and they survived, like Paul, who was stoned almost to death, survived it. Okay, he was whipped, like Jesus was whipped, survived it. Peter was put in jail at the same time that James was put in jail. Watch James killed and he was miraculously delivered by angelic intervention, but he was on the cusp of death. These apostles understood. That's why they wrote the way they, they wrote about the devil as a roaring lion, lurking about, seeking whom he may devour. Because they knew that the, the Christianity that they were living and preaching could at any time cost them their very mortal lives. They would never, they would never have associated themselves with the kind of gospel that's being preached today in what we call churches, where people only have to make a temporary emotional and intellectual commitment uh, 
by the raising of their hands and a confession of a prayer, but otherwise they could pretty much live worldly, have the same values, the same priorities, the same lusts and desires as the world does, but the difference is they come to church and they sing songs or they serve in some type of social outlet or a ministry or whatever it may be. Or they just attend, they come and listen to the pastor preach on Sunday. They would never have understood such a thing. Okay? And this is what I call the sinner's prayer gospel. And this is the root to all these other things which have put people into a mindset. I want you to get this tonight. Have put people into a mindset and a hard attitude of, I want to get the most I can for the least amount possibly uh, possible that I have to give. Let me say that again. I want to get the most that I can for the least possible that I have to give out of pocket. It's like bargaining, bargaining at a Middle Eastern bazaar. Okay? If any of you have ever been to a bazaar or at a flea market here in the States or in Europe. Okay? And you go to the market and you're going to try to get the best article there that you can find for the least amount of money that you have to pay. Right? Well, this is what people are doing with salvation. I mean, the questions that I get from people, the arguments I get from people, people that get even angry with me, I mean, really upset, because I say to them, you know, what is the motive of your heart? Why are you asking me in such a way, uh, can I still be saved if I don't want this? Can I still be saved if I don't want that? Okay? Why? Because, again, it's a past tense uh, fact for them. They've gotten saved, that's assured, and now it's up to them to decide how much more of God they want or how much more of God they don't really want. And they want to make sure that they're saved, that that, that contract that they signed through that sinner's prayer still stands, even if they're not willing to listen to the Holy Spirit today. Okay? So therefore, this is where we have the conception, okay, or the origin of such ridiculous questions and objections like, well, uh, if, I'm, if I'm gay, uh, does that mean I'm not saved? If I'm gay, does that mean I'm not saved? Because now they've adopted the world's terminology and the world's uh, definition and understanding of the perverse practice of homosexuality. And they've, you know, accepted like the world has that it's, it's, it's an okay practice. There's nothing wrong with it. It's socially acceptable. Okay? And so, therefore, they're saying, well, I got saved... But I also want to do this. Now, are you telling me that if I do this, I can't still be saved? Now, let me ask you something. What is the motive of such a, of such a hard attitude and of such a question and a challenge to God? Is this a heart that is broken and surrendered before the Lord and says, 
Lord, I want to follow you no matter what it costs me, even if I have to give up what I think I want to have, what I desire. Is that the hard attitude of such a person who asks such a question? Or is that the hard attitude of a person who says, uh, I really want to just do what I want. I want to sin. I want to live like the world lives. And I want to fit in with the world. And I don't want to be rejected by the world. But I don't want to lose my ticket into Disney World. I don't want to lose my ticket to heaven. But I want to, you know, I don't want to follow Christ in the way that he commands. But I don't want to lose my raffle ticket. You tell me, which, which mentality is that? Okay, now that's a, an extreme example, but it's a very real example, because as George Barna and other you know, uh, pollers bring out in their works, uh, the statistics in the so-called evangelical churches are no different than the statistics taken out in the world when it comes to these issues. So you have people sitting in supposedly evangelical churches that believe the scriptures, that stand on Jesus Christ, but they believe the same things that the world believes when it comes to such moral issues. But because they got saved, you understand? Because at one time they said a prayer and they said, I believe in Jesus, it doesn't matter how they live now. But, you know, the problem is they have that that gnawing, nagging, aggravating, irritating, annoying conviction somewhere in the back of their minds or spirits that lets them know that they're wrong. It, it lets them know this is wrong, and it's bothering them. So they're looking now for affirmation from other, you know, compromising hypocrites to back them up to say, no, you're okay. Look, the society accepts it. Look, even the church accepts it now. So ignore that voice of conviction. That's, In fact, you know what? That's probably the devil trying to discourage you. He doesn't want you to have your best life now. He doesn't want you to be successful and prosperous. And here's the big one. Happy. Huh? Very similar word to gay, isn't it? Happy. But yet, what is the truth, folks? And what is the truth of the, of the heart that even brings up this question? Is that person seeking after God? Is that person really wanting to live for the Lord? Or is that person trying to pay as little as possible for, the much, for as much as they can possibly get? I challenge you to think about that. Okay, let's get a little more closer to home now for righteous people, okay? Not people that are out there drinking and whoring and, and, and you know, involved in homosexuality or any other type of perversion. The outward obvious sin, not the drug addicts, okay? The thieves. Let's bring it on home into, into the, the church. What about people who are constantly coming to me with this one? Well, are you saying that if I don't speak in tongues, that I'm not saved? Everything is related to being saved. Okay? So if I'm not willing to submit and surrender to the Holy Spirit and allow 
this manifestation to occur, which occurred in the book of Acts for all the true believers at that time, if I'm not willing to submit to that, are you saying that I'm not saved? Because I got saved, and I know I'm saved. So let me ask you something. Is, is the discrepancy on the side of the tongues? Or is the discrepancy on the side of this concept of, I got saved. I am saved no matter what. Where is the discrepancy really? I would say to you that the discrepancy is on the side of this false understanding of what being saved or being rescued or being delivered from sin and Satan is. Yes, you may at that moment have been delivered because, you know, repentance is a gift. Even repentance is a gift from God. That's why arrogant people who say, well, you know, I'll wait till I'm older. I'm going to have my fun now, and when I'm older, then I'll repent and I'll come to God. As if they're in control of it. No, my friends. Repentance is a gift from God, and if God does not extend that gift, you're not even capable of repenting on your own. So, yes, God may extend that gift. You may be in a meeting, and, and please understand me. I'm not saying God doesn't use these meetings, and He's never present, and He doesn't, Holy Spirit doesn't convict people of their sin, and, and bring that initial awareness of their wicked state and, and their eternal uh, destiny and hell to them if they don't repent. If he doesn't convict of sin. Yes, he does. And you respond to that. So at that moment, you are rescued, you are delivered, you are, quote, saved in that sense. But that doesn't mean it's over, it's done, and there's nothing more. And you can fight God now on everything else for the rest of your Christian walk, what you're not willing to do, what you're not willing to receive, and, but you still want to be saved. Right? I can't imagine the Apostle Peter standing up at Pentecost like he did, giving the sermon that he did, saying, if you, you know, if you want to be delivered, rescued, saved from this wicked generation, and, and, and have the Lord Jesus Christ come into your life, you must repent and be baptized in water for the remission of your sins, the washing away of your sins, and receive the gift of the, the gift of the Holy Spirit, and somebody repenting of their sins, even being baptized in water, and then saying to Peter, "But listen, Peter, I, I don't really want to. I don't want to go that far. Okay, do I have to speak in tongues, or I won't be saved?" Can I still be saved because I did the first steps but leave the, the last part out? I can't imagine Peter having a discussion with this person and saying, well, you know what, listen, some people go further, others don't. It really depends. You know, if you're not really interested in being involved in ministry like we are, no, then you don't really need this. You can just uh, stay where you are. This is ridiculous, people. This would never have happened. Yet, that's what we're preaching and teaching today. That's what we're preaching and teaching today to people. That people can choose their levels of commitment. People can choose their depth of surrender. 
people can choose the longevity of their commitment. And it doesn't matter because at one time they said the sinner's prayer, they were born again, and they got saved. So therefore, that's the closer. Very American, isn't it? Very American sounding. Well, the the great the greatest expression of revivalism occurred in America. The land of the pioneer, the land of the entrepreneur, the land of the self-determined individual. The self-made man. What does America boast of? The self uh, America has the most first generation self-made millionaire, the self-made man, the self-determined capitalist Christian. Really? Is that the way the Lord sees it? I challenge us people to look at this tonight. I challenge us to look at this tonight, folks, because this is not the gospel. So, a lot of you, and I mean a lot of you, and I want to make this clear. I'm not picking on any one person or two people or three people. Many of you write to me, ask me these questions. I posted them on the website. I'm dealing with people on the phone. I'm, you know, when I'm ministering out there in churches, whatever I'm doing, I come up against these same. That's why in this book, and you'll see when we get to it at the end, I have a chapter called Hindrances and Objections, where I deal with the common hindrances and objections, for instance, to receiving the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Because these are, this is a common problem. A common problem brought on by what I'm talking about here. Okay? This root of a false gospel. This root of a false concept of being saved or getting saved or having gotten saved through an intellectual ascent, through an emotional appeal. No, folks. We don't get saved in that sense. We are called into a life of surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ by following the leadership and the rulership of the person of the Holy Spirit and the Scriptures as the guide that He's given us to understand His way of thinking, His way of acting, His way of doing things, His point of view, world view, whatever we want to call it. Do you follow me on that? We have to stop this short-term thinking. You know, we're a credit-driven society. So we, we're even trying to get our salvation on credit. We swipe the card at the altar, and it doesn't matter if we're willing to pay the premiums when the bill comes. We have the product already. You see that? Follow me on this for a second, folks. This is the society that we're living in in the natural. I go to the store, you know, any one of these credit card companies sends me an offer and somehow I sneak my bad credit through the fence and they give me a credit card. 
and I go and I go to buy something that I know that I can't really afford. But hey, what? Guess what? I got some purchasing power in my hand. It's air. It's not real. I don't have any gold and silver. I don't even have any fiat fiat currency to back it up. But when I swipe this card, it's not going to be declined. It's going to be approved because this company is putting out the funds ahead of time in order to make the interest back when I pay it back. But many times, if I'm honest about it, I don't really have any intention of paying it back. I want to get away with being able to get the product and then later cry the blues and, and go into bankruptcy or whatever, whatever happens to get me out of having to pay my debt. But look, I got the product anyway, and I consumed the product quickly and feverishly, and it's gone. Well, people, this is the same type of gospel we're selling. People are raising their hands in the pews or in more radical places. I mean, really radical churches. They're actually still walking up to the altar and making this commitment on credit toward their eternal salvation. But the Lord knows the heart. What does the scripture say in Jeremiah? The heart is is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Well, we can't, but the Lord knows it. And he knows that many of those people are coming up there to make a purchase. Okay? They're they're you're, you know, they're 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 getting an option. Okay, they're leveraging. They're getting an option against eternity. You know? But they have no intention of truly following through the commitment. And here's the worst part. Many of them don't even realize that there's any commitment because we preach it as a free gift. Right? Salvation is a free gift. It doesn't cost us anything. Jesus paid it all. So not only will this creditor give you the credit, the creditor will actually pay the bill for you. So who would deny such an offer? But is that what the scripture really means when it talks about Jesus having paid it all? Is that what the scripture really means when it says that? That there's no cost? Well, it costs the Father, and it costs the Son, and it costs the Holy Spirit everything to provide that eternal salvation. And yes, it's freely given in the sense that we could never pay this debt on our own. We could never uh, foster the righteousness to attain our own salvation. In that sense, it is freely given, yes. But that doesn't mean it doesn't cost us anything. Jesus tells us all through the Gospels, it costs us our very lives. Why does he make statements like, he that forsakes not all that he has cannot be my disciple. If any man come after me, let him hate his mother and his father and his brother and his sister and his friends. Yes, and his own soul life also. 
and let him take up his cross and follow me. And he's made many, many. Any man putting his hand to the plow looking back is not worthy of the kingdom of God. And a man came to Christ and said, Lord, let me bury my father first. And Jesus said, let the dead bury their dead. You take up your cross and follow me and go preach the gospel. So what do we mean by a free gift, folks? What do we mean by it doesn't cost anything? Do we really understand what we're talking about? Or is this a lie in the way that we're presenting it in today's world when we speak of this free gift of salvation, when we speak of getting saved, being saved, I got saved? Is this really what the Scripture teaches that it's, it's, it's a one-time assent, a one-time agreement, regardless of our performance later, regardless of our, our willingness to obey, to commit, to surrender, to deny ourselves, to confess Christ openly in our lifestyle. Here's another one. I got saved. I deny the Lord in everything in the way I live. I don't admit to my friends. I don't admit to my work colleagues. I don't admit to the people that I'm one of these tongue-talking Jesus fanatics. But it doesn't matter that I have no witness in the world because I'm saved. And in the church, I practice my savedness. When I go to church on Sunday, I practice my savedness. When I go to work on Monday, I'm just another worldly asshole. But on Sunday, I go back, or maybe I'm even really radical, on Wednesday nights, I go and I practice my savedness at Bible study or whatever it is. Is that really the way the gospel works, people? Is that what Jesus died on the tree for? Did Jesus allow himself to be whipped, have the very flesh ripped out of his back, beard ripped out of his face, allow himself to be completely disfigured that when he was up there hanging on the tree, he didn't even look like a human being anymore. He just looked like a beat-up piece of meat, like cattle sent through a slaughterhouse. Is that what Jesus did this for, for this kind of cheap grace that we're talking? I challenge us to think about that. I didn't even get to the introduction of the book. But that's okay. We'll deal with that on our next program. I love you all, and as Paul wrote in his letters, but I am convinced and persuaded of better things of you, my brothers and sisters. I know that you are not of such a spirit. I know that you are of the spirit of your Lord, and he is your Lord, and you will serve him that way. We love you all. You have a wonderful evening. God bless you.